a blessing once again that my firstborn, uh, Emma, is here visiting this weekend, and Derek uh, Castle is here as well. We're 29 days away from their wedding. And as others in this church know, like Sebastian and Kim, there's a lot of details, isn't there, that has to get arranged. And so I'm going to ask that you pray uh, for those two couples as well. But uh, I just want to celebrate once again, personally, I enjoy having my family all together. That is a blessing this morning. Well, good morning once again, uh, and welcome to week four of this Broken and Restored series. Uh, Are you guys ready for Memorial Day weekend that's coming up? Uh, It's great to be planning and starting work on our float uh, this evening for the Memorial Day Parade, and I hope a number of you are planning to ride on that float with us or to walk and strut your stuff for the Lord and invite a lot of young people in our community to Vacation Bible School. But I want to just uh, jump right in this morning with a phrase, and really it's a hashtag, if you're familiar with that. Uh, It's the first point on your outline this morning, and that is this, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. That's a phrase you'll see on a lot of social media these days, and people will use it either ironically or humorously to describe situations that that are typically first world problems. For instance, some people might have trouble getting their footwear to work and they might have to adapt and maybe use a little duct tape to get their their shoes working, so the struggle is real. Maybe you can relate to this one. You're eager to hit the gym at work and work on that beach body for the summer, but McDonald's is calling and so the struggle is real. Or, Or maybe you can identify with this one perhaps. You know, this person was creative to no end. Uh, now, the bacon had to get cooked, and one thing they found, interestingly enough, that the iron really did keep the bacon from curling up, okay? But the struggle's real. How about this one? Maybe you can't afford to buy those expensive shirts with the logos, and so you adapt a little bit and overcome. They made their own Izod shirt. One of my favorite ones that I saw, actually, this past week was this one. What do you do when the hot water heater stops working? Well, All you got to do is run an electrical cord to your pipe to heat the water before you take a shower. Not real smart, but still inventive for one shower and then death. Okay, and and the next one? Yeah, your AC goes out on your car? (laughs) Pop in a window air conditioner. It'll work. The struggle is real. You know, I could go on all day with these things, but the reality is uh, what is obvious to, to many of us and oblivious to others. You and I are in an invisible struggle for our lives and our finances, our family, our marriages, our legacy in our family, our kids, our futures, our church are in a struggle. And even though we can't see this invisible struggle, hashtag, the struggle is real. Now I want to introduce you to one of the most power-packed scriptures, our passages in all of scripture this morning. It comes in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in verses 10 through 20, and it reminds me of the great knights and the warriors of old. In fact, it reminds me of this scene in the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. Remember that that movie? He's playing the character of Maximus, and I love the line where he is commanded by the emperor, you will remove your helmet and tell me your name, Gladiator. And Maximus takes off that helmet and he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix Legion, and loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius. 
father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. I mean, come on, man. Is that a great line or what? Or it reminds me of the battle between the Persians and the Spartans at Thermopylae, and the Persian emissary threatens a thousand nations in the Persian Empire will descend upon you, and our arrows will block out the sun. And the Spartan Stelios replies, then we will fight in the shade. <laughs> Those images come to my mind when I think of what the Bible says. We are in a fight for our lives, and we'd better be equipped to fight a spiritual standpoint battle like Maximus, like Stelios, and others. Well, let's start by reading from God's Word. This is in Ephesians 6, verse 10. And I want to read this from the New Living Translation. The scripture there says, A final word, be strong in, in what? In the Lord. And in whose power? His power. In other words, you're not strong enough to win this battle. In his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Friends, it's saying you've got a spiritual enemy. Satan, the devil, he hates your existence. He hates your blessing. And he is planning and plotting and coming up with all kinds of strategies and schemes to take you out. Scripture goes on, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Our battle's not against other people, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Friends, your fight is not against other people. Your fight is not against the Republicans or the Democrats. Your fight is not against President Trump or Speaker Pelosi. Your fight is not against your boss from hell. Your fight is not against your parent or your spouse's parent. It's not against your son or your daughter or your wife or your husband. Your fight is against unseen forces in the spiritual realm. Now, we don't think about that a lot. The physical world that we live in, that we can see, it gets so much credit, but there is a spiritual world we cannot see. And listen to me, the struggle in the spiritual world is real. And it's just as real and just as powerful even more so, really, I think, than what takes place in the physical world. There's a war going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between good versus evil. And a lot of people in our world today, they don't believe in the devil. They think he's some kind of a cartoon character, kind of a mythical character, or, or they, they believe that evil exists, but they just don't believe in the person of Satan. Or maybe they put him in the category of, of the tooth fairy or Santa Claus or something. It reminds me of the story about that little three-year-old boy who was acting up one day at church and his uh, Sunday school teacher just kind of grabbed him by the shoulders and shook him. And he said, young man, I think the devil's got a hold of you. And the little three-year-old looked up and said, I think you're right, sir. <laughs> the devil takes a hold of us in, in a lot of different ways and to a lot of different degrees. It's not just a figment of some overactive spiritual imagination. You see, the Bible teaches Satan was a wise, brilliant, beautiful angel in heaven that was so consumed with pride and a desire to ascend to God's throne, to reign as God himself, that he would lead a rebellion that would lead to him being ousted from heaven along with a third of the rebellious angels. 
And now we're in a fight with him and the battle is real. Did you catch what it says? It's against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so maybe as you read that, you think, you know, what does that really mean? I mean, it says to to resist these strategies of Satan. So what are his strategies? And if you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you five specific strategies from the Scripture that your enemy, the devil, uses against our lives. The first one is this. Satan loves to blind the mind of unbelievers. For instance, there's some of you right now in this room, and you would say, Bill, honestly, I am not a follower of Jesus. Some of you might say, I'm not even sure I believe in God. Others might even go so far as to say, I don't believe in God. I'm only here because my mom asked me to be here. Or I'm here because my spouse wanted me to be here. And I want you to know, if that's you, I'm glad you're here. This church exists for the glory of God and to introduce you to the God that we believe exists and is the one true living God. But right now, for some of you, as you hear God's word coming to you, for some of you, it is Hard to pay attention. Your mind is wandering, and some of you are thinking, you know what? I've got some laundry that I gotta get caught up on later today. Somebody in this room, you're thinking, peanut butter. We're out of peanut butter. I gotta stop the store and pick up some peanut butter. And your mind is wandering, and you have just checked out already. Let me tell you what's going on from Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says this: Satan, who's the God of this world, has what? Blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. You see, Satan knows that he is headed for hell one day. And what he wants to do is he wants to take as many believers as he can with him. And so he blinds the mind so that you don't even hear the good news about Jesus Christ. A second strategy that Satan loves is stealing God's word from you. For example, I bet many of you can relate to this. Maybe you've been in a church service or you've been somewhere and you've heard God's word and it did something to you. It not only piqued your spiritual interest, it it motivated you and you said, you know what? I, I really need this. Maybe this is real. Maybe God's way is the best way. But then you got up the next day and all those thoughts had just vanished. And just like that, life goes back to normal. And you go back to the routine of the same old, same old. And you think, you know, what was that yesterday? You know, I I was thinking about changing this. Or I was thinking about trying this with my family or doing this. Why did it vanish? Well, Jesus tells us himself. In Matthew 13, 19, he says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, who shows up? The evil one comes and he snatches away what was sown in their heart. He blinds the mind of unbelievers. He steals the word of God from you. And number three, he loves to set traps and ensnare you. When I was a teenager, my family took a vacation down to Florida. And on the way, we went through Cape Hatteras. Beautiful place. Some of you guys have uh, vacation homes there, and you've been there, I know. But uh, we came home, and while we were gone, we discovered we had a new house guest that had made its home in our Well, actually, it had burrowed underneath our large air conditioner unit outside of our home. And we really didn't see the unseen guest as much as we sensed its presence. 
because mom went in and turned on the air conditioner and this new house guest was a skunk. And suddenly our whole house smelled like skunk. And we used to use our back door a lot to come in and out of the house. And one day we opened the back door and sure enough, there was a little guy, well, actually when I was a kid, it looked a lot bigger than little. I mean, it was a big skunk. We rushed back in and locked the door just in case the skunk had learned somehow uh, how to unlock doors and stuff. But we called the skunk man. And the skunk man came to our house. He set out a trap for the skunk, and we got him. And so we took him and drove him to the other side of town to a family that we didn't like very much, and we set him free. On, no, I'm just kidding. We, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. But you might wonder, is it hard to trap a skunk? Not really. You just have to keep changing the menu until you find something that the skunk actually likes. That's what Satan does. He'll keep changing the temptation until he finds one you just can't resist. He finds where we're vulnerable, where we're weak. It's like maybe you've made a decision that you're going to reform your social life this year. And as soon as you decide that, a friend shows up at the door with a six-pack or a bottle of wine. Or maybe you're trying to purify your mind and you turn on the computer and suddenly that image is right there. And that lustful thought returns. Or maybe you're trying to, to work to glorify God with your finances and get out of debt, but then your favorite store has a sale. <laughs> and wherever you're weak, friends, that's where Satan attacks. Here's what the Bible directs us in 2 Timothy 2, 26. Then they will come to their senses and escape the traps of the devil who has taken them captive to do not God's will, but to do his will. See, according to the psalmist, there's only one Surely God will save you from the fowler's snare. Satan wants to blind your mind. He wants to steal God's word from you. He wants to entrap you in a destructive habit, a pattern, a lifestyle. And then fourth, he will fight to stop God's work within you. And many of you know exactly how this works because it's happened to you many times. You've gotten to the edge of being convicted by God's word to submit to God in some area of your life or maybe God has, has led you to risk something, to serve him in a way that you've never served before, or to speak to someone, and you've never done that before. Or maybe you've made that decision to get out of debt, and suddenly the transmission drops out of your car. It's just an attack. Or you decide, you know what, we're going to work on our marriage. We're going to pray together. We're going to study the Bible together. We're going to have a God-honoring marriage. And you go home with that attitude, and that's the day you have the biggest knockdown, drag-out fight you've ever had as a couple. Friends, do you think that's not by design? What's happening? It's that spiritual opposition, the forces of darkness working to stop you from the work that God wants to do in you. Even the Apostle Paul faced that barrier. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18 to the church there, we wanted to come, and I, Paul, I tried again and again, but what happened? Satan stopped us. He tried to block the word of God. Now, ultimately, this next one is the strategy of Satan for everyone in this room and everyone in this world. Number five, Satan is committed to the total destruction of your life. Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief only comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. P. 
Peter would say in 1 Peter 5.8 that we are to be alert and sober-minded. For your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? To do what? To devour. He wants to destroy you. And I want you to notice this. Satan is compared to what? A lion, which is a cat. Satan Cats. You think about it. You make the connection there, okay? I'm a dog person. Satan is looking around on the prowl for who he can pick off, who he can bring down because he hates you. And so I've got to say to you this morning, friends, you better get ready to do battle. You better get ready to fight for your marriage. You better get ready to fight for, for your spouse and loving them. Guys, loving your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ladies, you've got to make up your mind to fight for your marriage and express respect for your husband in a way that honors God. Parents, grandparents here this morning, you better get ready to fight for your kids and fight for your grandchildren. And for all of your life, you may have been working on a career. You may have been working on simply putting a roof over your family's head. But suddenly you, you realize, with all that done, where's the foundation? And, and you better fight to make sure they know the truth. Some of you financially, your boat is sinking. In 2020, it's looking like the year you're going to have to file for bankruptcy. And so you better start fighting. You better say, Lord, teach me how to manage the gifts that you put in my hand. And let this be the year we climb out of the pit that's there. But you've got to fight for it. For some of you, it's an addiction in your life. And it's been battling in you for months and years. And it's going to destroy you. And it's going to destroy the lives of the people that love you unless you arm yourself to fight. Believers, maybe your battle is of a lukewarm faith. Maybe faith in God, maybe being part of a church. This is just one little part of your life. It's not the part of your life to be with Jesus. And maybe this is the year you get ready to fight. And you say, you know what? I'm going to get into God's word and it's going to get into me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to draw closer to him. This is the summer maybe that I'm going to get fired up in my relationship to Jesus. So how do you do that? And what are the weapons in this spiritual battle? Well, Scripture teaches us not only is the struggle real, but we need to engage with the strength of the Lord in this battle. Look in verse 13 in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the, en uh, the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all this, hold up the shield of faith with which you can stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, what I want to do is I just want to, before we leave, and I know, I know we're out of time this morning, I want to break down this armor really quickly and show you how to resist and defeat the work of Satan in your life. And I'm going to start at the head, and I'm just going to, I'm going to work down on top. Paul talks about the helmet of salvation. And if you think about it, we wear helmets when we play football, 
right? Ghost dealers, it's coming up. You know, we, we, we wear uh, batting helmets, Luke, right? When you play baseball, we wear helmets when riding a motorcycle, if we're smart, um, if we're bicycling, longboarding, whatever it is. So what is the helmet of salvation? And friends, this is so key. The helmet of salvation is simply remembering that you're not saved because you're good. You're not saved by any good thing you do. You're saved by grace that God gives in faith through Jesus Christ, His only Son, and what He did on the cross at Calvary and out of that empty tomb. And when you know that in your mind, friends, your mind can be secure. You see the outline you have there? It simply shows that you can protect your mind with the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. Your mind is protected because you know you're saved. The next piece of armor we see as we go down is, is what's called that body armor or the breastplate of righteousness. And what does that cover? It covers your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Friends, your heart will lie to you. Your heart will lead you to unrighteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, it helps you protect your heart with truth. That you're not righteous because you're good. There's no one righteous according to Scripture, not even one. But the good news is, when God looks at you as a Christian, He doesn't see sin. He sees that breastplate of righteousness. It's a covering for your sin, a covering for your heart. And the word for covering within the Old Testament scheme, it's the word atonement. And it means that God has covered your sins so that you are at one with God. Your position in Christ is cemented in the goodness of his love. It's like the prodigal son's father in Luke 15. This kid that's gone out and he's wasted all of his dad's money, all of his inheritance on parties and women and wild living, and he's lost it all. Nobody sticks with him, and he's, he's feeding pigs, and he longs to fill his stomach with the slop that he's given to the pigs. The Bible says he comes to his senses, and he goes home, and he's got this speech rehearsed for his father. And when his father, who's been looking for him, sees him coming from a long way off, his father doesn't see the scum on his son's body. He doesn't see the waste or the filth of what he's been doing. He sees his son, and he calls for the best robe to put on, and he wraps him in this robe of righteousness. And what he sees, this is my son. He was lost, and he's found, and he's come home. He covered him in the robe of righteousness. It's what Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 61.10. Friends, God equips us with the same I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Why? Because he's clothed me with the garments of salvation and he's arrayed me in the robe of his righteousness. Like a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. When God sees you, he doesn't see all the stains of your sins. He sees all the right things that Jesus did. You've got the helmet of salvation. You've got the breastplate of righteousness. And then when the enemy's throwing those fiery darts or shooting those arrows at you, you take up the shield of faith. And with that, 
you can defeat the negative and the hurtful thoughts with faith. You defeat the accusations of Satan that he hurls your way. All those scripts that say you're not enough. How could God love you? You're not pretty. You're not handsome. You're pathetic. You never finish anything. You're a waste of breath. (laughs) Your marriage, it's always going to be bad. Your life, you're always going to be broke. God could never love someone like you. God could at least never use you if he ever loved you. I listened to one young lady give her testimony who said to me, you know, my mom told me that if she knew how I was going to turn out, I would have boarded you. That whisper, it would have been better if you were never born. Listen, when those fiery darts come, those arrows from the evil one, you're able to take that shield of faith and say, I don't believe your lies. I don't believe your accusations. Satan, you're the father of lies. What I believe by faith is what God says about me. Revelation 12, 11, Satan, that's me. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. I'm an overcomer. He says, greater is he that is in me than the one that's in the world. Satan, I know God's got good plans for me. Jeremiah 29, 11 says so. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Satan says to me, I'm working all things together for good for those who love me because they're called according to my purpose. And I claim with the shield of faith the power in Jesus that says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, I demolish arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And I take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Then I've got that belt of truth, and that's good news. Because you don't want to go into battle with your pants falling down, right? You don't want to be like some of the young people you see on the street with their pants down around the lower part of their backside or almost down to their knees. When you've got a belt of truth, you can go into battle securely that you're, you're ready to do battle. But then, you've got to plant yourself in the peace of God. Soldiers back in that day, I, I don't know if they wore air Caesars or, or what they put on their feet, but your feet are planted in the peace of God. And when you're in the middle of battle, when you're in the midst of a spiritual fight and other people look at you and they say, you know, how can you be so calm? How could you handle things the way you do? You can honestly say, you know what? I really don't know sometimes because it's beyond my ability to understand. It's it's supernatural. Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God that transcends all understanding, it'll guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then the next weapon you have is so powerful. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And friends, listen, if you're a follower of God and you're not spending some time in the commander's tent, If you're not speaking with him, you're going to be going into battle flying by the seat of your pants. And it will cost you. And it will cost your family. But as a believer, you should seek times to read, reflect, and pray or apply God's word. And friends, if you don't do that, then you can't wield the sword in a way that God wants you and anticipates and expects you to wield his sword. You internalize it. 
And then you are ready for battle. Remember in, in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan comes to attack Jesus in three different temptations, and every time Jesus responds, it is written, it is written, and Satan is discouraged, defeated, and he leaves him, and the angels come and attend to him. You fight with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now I want you to think about something. When you picture that spiritual armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, all of your front side is protected. The only thing that's left open to attack is, and vulnerable is your back. And that's why we need each other. That's why you need brothers and sisters in Christ who have got your six to guard your back. We all need those prayers that Ephesians 6 talks about for one another. We need to pray with each other. We need a group to be a part of as a small group in Sunday school or, or in Bible studies or youth group. People that, that have your back, that can be with you, that can pray with you, inspiring you no matter what. Some of you will remember the song that Twyla Paris wrote a long time ago when she said, lately I've been fighting battles left and right, but even winners can get wounded in the fight. People say that I'm amazing Wise beyond my years, but they don't see inside of me that I'm hiding all the tears. They don't know who I go running to when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. And so I drop my sword and cry just for a little while. Because deep inside this armor, the warrior is a child. Unafraid because his armor is the best, but even soldiers need a quiet place to rest. People say that I'm amazing, never faced retreat, but they don't see the enemies that lay me at his feet. And friends, we need each other. We need God's word. And a lot of people have said to me, Bill, all I've got is an old King James Bible. Friends, it's still the word of God. Or you might say the print's so small, I can't even read it anymore. And maybe the best thing for you to do, friends, I know most of you, you've got a smartphone. And you could do what I've done every week. I look at either, you know, version Bible on my phone or BibleGateway.com online. And I look at the scriptures there and there's devotional uh, plans. There's reading plans of going through the New Testament in a year or the whole Bible in a year. And you can commit to do that. And friends, you can commit to be here regularly. There is nothing that pushes back the darkness like worship and prayer and fellowship. What if this was the year that every SCC member and guest experienced what Jesus spoke of when he said in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This could be the summer of your life if you'll take a few minutes a day and focus on your life spiritually. Well, I'm going to ask the praise team if they would come back up this morning. And as they're coming up to get ready to lead us in a decision song, you know, Napoleon one day was looking at a map of the entire world. And his eyes were drawn to a big red dot on the map that represented Waterloo. And he said, if it was not for that one red dot, I could have conquered the world. But that one red dot stopped me. You know, I wonder sometimes if Satan looks at a map of the entire world. And his eyes can't help but being drawn to one red dot, one blood-stained dot, outside the city of Jerusalem, 
that represented the place where Jesus died on the cross. And he says, if it were not for that one red dot, I could have conquered the world. But it's there. Friends, listen to me. Jesus died on the cross. The tomb is empty, serving forever as a reminder that although Satan is dangerous, and although he has a strategy to try to bring us down, thank God he has already been defeated. So when you and I come to this spiritual battle, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. You're not alone in your battle. You are never alone. So let me close with the words of 1 John 4, 4 as a reminder. You dear children are from God and you have overcome them because the one who's in you is what? He's greater than the one who's in the world. Would you stay with me this morning and let's pray. Stand together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being the ultimate victor. That we don't have to, to, to scrape just to get by. Father, you won the ultimate victory. You defeated death. You defeated hell. You defeated the grave, the wage of sin for every one of us. As we call up our Savior and Lord today, we stand in a place of victory. And we move from glory to glory with you. So Father, help us to fight. Help us to fight for our faith and our life in you. Help us to fight for our homes. Help us to fight for our friends that, that don't know you and the strangers that have yet to be introduced to the amazing grace to be found in you. The forgiveness that though no one in this world would offer them a second chance, God, you will, you have. God, give us the strength to fight for this church, this fellowship. Father, we choose to be your church because of who you are. You died for your church. That makes it important. Father, I ask that you would raise within our hearts a desire to follow you, to serve you in all things. And Father, if someone's desire this morning is to submit to you as the Lord and Savior of their life, help them to step out, to come forward as we sing this song. Maybe they're looking for a church home and now's the time. They're ready to place their membership here and, and let their banner fly clear that they stand for you. Father, there's someone struggling this morning. They're not sure if they do believe. Just give them the strength and the curiosity to keep coming and to keep seeking you because you're faithful and you promise that if we seek you, we'll find you if we seek you with all our heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name.